Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, James. Welcome back to another episode of Psych Essentials. Hey, we are in our personality disorders series. Two episodes ago, we laid out all the personality disorders, and now we're going through cluster by cluster. And now, which cluster are we at today? We are in cluster B. Now, you may be wondering what type of granola I brought today. I decided to go with sort of a holiday autumnal pumpkin spice granola Mm. with sort of like a little bit of an olive oil and cranberry blend, but I'm getting us off track. We're here to talk about cluster B personality disorders. Right. Let's get into it. There are four types of cluster B personality disorders. There's antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, and histrionic. Okay. And again, you can rewind a couple episodes for the breakdown of what characteristics make up each of these. But in general, what would you expect from somebody with a cluster B personality disorder? Patients with cluster B personality disorders are often pretty demanding when they're interacting with people. They can be pretty dramatic and sometimes impulsive as well. They're often characterized by having pretty labile and unstable emotions And sometimes they can be pretty emotionally sensitive to the feeling of others and they can read people pretty well, especially facial expressions. Sometimes they can have poor interpersonal boundaries. Sometimes they'll seem very grandiose and kind of narcissistic. And other times they might seem more aloof. Some of them can be pretty self-focused and have difficulty empathizing with others or understanding what other people might be feeling in response to them can also see this very like black and white, all or nothing thinking pattern. We sometimes see it in something called splitting, and we'll get into that in a little bit. These types of patients are also characterized by having very tumultuous relationships. And then one other characteristic that you'll often see is this what we call help-seeking, help-rejecting behavior, where someone's asking for help with something, and but yet when someone tries to help them with it, they're like, no, nah, that, that's not going to work for me. That's not going to work. And so it, it feels weird for people interacting with, with patients with cluster B personality disorders. Yeah, this would be a really challenging situation for a lot of doctors to be in. Yeah, these patients are often quite challenging for really most providers, and they often evoke a lot of strong emotions in us. Sometimes people feel like they're being manipulated or like these people are just difficult. Like, oh, like I just need someone to come talk to this person because I can't Can't deal deal with it anymore. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. These patients are really challenging. But, you know, one word of caution is that these patients also deal with a lot of stigma. There was some recent ethnographic work that demonstrates that nurses actually show less sympathy towards patients with borderline personality disorder than with other patients who have mental illness. And even though that's calling out nurses, I would be surprised if that didn't also apply to other healthcare providers. Definitely. It's not just nurses. One thing that's important as we're thinking about stigma and labeling is being careful about some of the language that you're using when you discuss this disorder with patients or when you talk about people who have this disorder. I would encourage you to use person-first language, so that's a person who has borderline personality disorder as opposed to 
that borderline. Right, exactly, yep. which is furthering the stigma and sort of othering people. Yeah, definitely. In a way that I don't think is creating empathy or engendering a sense of warmth. Or I care. agree. And I think this speaks to how important it is to continually work towards cultivating empathy for patients with cluster B personality disorders, even when it's really hard to do so. I think, you know, recognizing that the behaviors that patients with cluster B personality disorders exhibit, while they can be really maladaptive, perplexing and even seemingly manipulative kind of on the surface, these behaviors were likely adaptive and helpful to them at some point in their life. Maybe they even helped them to survive in their environment and and got their needs met. So that can be helpful for a provider to kind of keep in the back of their mind when they're interacting with these patients. Right. Thinking about like, okay, okay, let me take a deep breath and remember like, where did this come from? Why is this happening? It's not just me. Yeah. And it didn't, these behaviors didn't just come out of the blue for you today. Exactly. And I think it's similarly common to see emotional distress in staff and people that are working. And so note that like just being around people who are dysregulated and upset is upsetting in and of itself. And so working to manage that and recognizing that in other people and and cutting people some slack, offering to help step in, letting people take some breaks. Yeah. And then I think one final thing to keep in mind is that I think, you know, because these patients are so difficult um, at times, there can be this sense of hopelessness that we take on. It's really important to, to continually remind yourself you can work effectively with these with these patients. There are a lot of good techniques that, that we have at our disposal, and most of these patients are treatable and will get better with time. Absolutely. I think that's a great message. I'm glad you said that. As you can imagine, the chaotic environment and some of the relationship problems that characterize these patients also translate into the medical setting. So as we think about some of this illness and talk about how to intervene, I again want to shout out to a review article that was in the AAFP journal, the American Academy of Family Physicians, and we'll have a link on our website. And that looks at some of the characteristic, the key characteristics of these disorders, how that translates into medical settings, and then how you might manage that. Yeah, it's a super helpful article. I definitely recommend that you guys check it out. In the meanwhile, we have got our hands on another totally real live fictional audio tape of an interaction between a doctor and a patient. Not a spoiler. This person in this vignette, like last time, has a cluster B personality disorder. So kind of like last time, the goal is not to figure out which one or to figure out is this histrionic or is this borderline. It's a combination. The goal is for you to think about where is the doctor slipping up and what would you say instead? Can you think about it before the tape rewinds? All right. Ready? Let's get to it. Let's get into it. Hi, my name is Dr. James. I'm a psychiatry resident. I'm going to be your doctor while you're here in the hospital. I wanted to check in and see how you're doing this morning. Doing? How do you think I'm doing? What a stupid question. I am in a psych ward against my will. I didn't choose this. My mom sent me here. She is such an idiot. And I tried to tell her that I didn't want to come here and she didn't listen and I am so sick and tired of it. Aren't you here because you tried to kill yourself? That's what I read in the chart. You know, when people try and kill themselves, the best thing they can do is come into the hospital. It makes sense that you're here with us. You can be safe here. Are you serious right now? You don't listen either. You're just like her. I don't want you to be my doctor. Get out. 
So try not to get into arguments or conflicts with patients. Using logic and sense with patients usually backfires because it feels invalidating to them. Use reflections to help empathize with the patient and to build alliance. You can validate and affirm that they are having certain emotions without necessarily validating the maladaptive behaviors they use to cope with these difficult emotions. So let's rewind. Hi, my name is Dr. James. I'm a psychiatry resident. I'm going to be your doctor while you're here in the hospital. I wanted to check and see how you're doing this morning. Doing? How do you think I'm doing? What a stupid question. I'm here in a psych ward against my will, and I didn't choose this. My mom sent me here. She's such an idiot. I tried to tell her that I didn't want to come here, and she didn't listen. I am sick and tired of it. Wow. It sounds like you're feeling really frustrated about the situation. You're confused about why you're even here. Yeah, exactly. I hate this dumb place. I'm so mad. I didn't want to come to this. I told my mom not to bring me here, and she did. You are furious right now, and you felt really betrayed by her. I didn't even know who she was. She, she was like a stranger. And I just want to be able to trust people, but it's so hard, and I always end up getting let down. Ugh, I bet it feels like there's this endless cycle. So you used lots of reflections here. You validated the patient's emotions while avoiding getting drawn into an argument. You built an alliance with the patient. Dr. James, I feel like you really understand me, and I know I can trust you. Promise me that you'll be here for me every day while I'm in the hospital. I just can't work with anyone else. They'll just disappoint me in the end. Well, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can try and be here every day. I mean, well, I, I mean, I'm not supposed to work this weekend. What? No, please. Oh, I need to see you, especially weekends. There's nothing to do on the weekends here, and I get so bored. Please, you have to come in. Oh my god, I'm worried something bad will happen to me if you're not here. I don't know what I'll do. I'll have to cut myself, and I'll find a way to do it. You don't want that, right? Wait, wait, you might hurt yourself? Uh, oh, wait, oh my gosh. No, no, no. I, no, I don't want that to happen. Um, I'll just come in. I'll come in this weekend. Oh, thank god. You're the best, Dr. James. So, so something went wrong here. You can see that the patient really liked Dr. James. So what's wrong with that, right? And actually, that's an okay thing. But we know that patients with cluster B personality disorders can develop idealization. And we can see here how it can inadvertently lead to blurred boundaries. Dr. James felt easily pulled into participating more than he wanted to. While it's good to want to help your patients, it can lead to exhaustion, burnout, and it can take you away from treating other patients too. As a result, it's really important to notice when you start to see this and to think about why. And so in this case, the patient is threatening to engage in maladaptive self-harm behaviors to get her needs met. Many patients with cluster B personality disorders often have poor interpersonal boundaries. It can be really hard to set limits with these patients um, since patients might be upset with you in the short term, but it's very helpful for patients in the long term. You can be a role model by using yourself to establish clear limits and boundaries with the patient. So let's rewind and try again. Dr. James, I feel like you really understand me, and I just know I can trust you. So promise me that you'll be here for me every day while I'm here in the hospital. I just cannot work with anyone else. I know they'll only disappoint me in the end. You know, it sounds like having a doctor you can trust is really important to you. And I want to be really clear about how our hospital works so there aren't any surprises. I'll work with you every day while I'm at work. On weekends, though, there's going to be a covering doctor who will check in with you instead, and I'll make sure that the covering doctor knows what our plan is. You're not going to be here during the weekend? I'm going to hurt myself if you're not here. You have to be here. 
Wow, it, it really sounds like the idea of me not being here this weekend is really scary and it feels kind of overwhelming to you. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, didn't you hear me? I'm going to cut myself. I might not even wait till the weekend. You suck, Dr. James. Wow, you are really upset right now. Furious. I mean, I can understand that. And yet self-harm behaviors like cutting can be really dangerous. And so if you're feeling like you want to cut yourself, how could you keep yourself safe? Could you could you come talk to me or one of the nurses to talk about that? Mm, I mean, yeah, I guess I can. I think it would be useful to take some time and think about what are strategies that we are going to use to help yourself calm down when you're feeling as upset as you're feeling right now. Right. So what's different here? This time you tolerated the patient's anger towards you. And that shows the patient that you're taking the time to understand them and you're not trying to change their distress. It also is modeling for the patient how to effectively cope with their own anger. Another thing you did was reflect the patient's emotions. All of this is really good. Okay, so let's take some time and think about like what are other strategies you could use to calm yourself down when you're feeling as upset as you're feeling right now? Yeah, I guess that's a good idea. What sort of strategies have helped you feel calmer in the past? I don't know. N none. Nothing works. That's why I cut. I mean, that helps me feel better. Okay. Um, what about like exercising or taking a walk when you're upset? Is that something you've tried? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that would work for me. Walking doesn't calm me. Okay. Uh, sometimes temperature changes are helpful, like even putting your hands or face in some cold water when you're upset. In fact, one of the ways that works is it helps your heart rate to get lower, which is calming. Do you seriously think that I could just carry around a bucket of cold water with me? Well, I agree. We'd have to talk about that. But what about some, some breaths that are slower, kind of relaxing? In fact, I think we talked about that yesterday. No, that won't work. That's a DBT thing, isn't it? Yeah, DBT doesn't work for me. Nothing works for me, actually. And you're not going to help me either. So this is all so useless. Ugh. Okay, so you're just saying no to everything I'm suggesting, and it, it just feels like you're doing this on purpose. Like, if you just listened and tried one of these, I know it would help. Like, why can't you just, like, uh, if you just, like, do that? It's just so frustrating. Like, we're, we're never going to get better if you have that attitude. The patient is displaying what's called help-seeking, help-rejecting behavior. This is when a patient seeks help with something, but then dismisses every potential solution the provider comes up with to address the problem. This is really frustrating, and it can feel like you're working harder than the patient. It can be tempting to want to counterattack the patient and even accuse them of doing it on purpose. It's usually not on purpose. The patient wants help with stopping cutting, but consciously or even subconsciously fears losing that important coping strategy. Some people think that the patient also fears losing the relationship with the doctor. It's important to empathize that the patient can get better while building new skills and also keeping their relationship with the doctor. So let's rewind. No, that won't work. That's a DBT thing, isn't it? No, DBT doesn't work for me. Nothing works for me. And you're not going to help me either. So this is all just so useless. Okay, okay. It seems like it's really hard for you to think of a strategy right now. And, and I bet... It just, even the idea of that seems really overwhelming. I'm going to give you some time to think about strategies on your own for the next 30 minutes. After 30 minutes, I'm going to come back and I'm going to check in and see where you're at. I do want you to know that we're going to keep supporting you while you're here in the hospital. This is so hard for you right now, but you came in and you really want to make some important changes in your life. So let's keep working on your goals while you're here. 
You gave the patient some space and time to do some independent work on the task at hand. You also reassured the patient that you would be a part of her care even once she started to improve. So like we talked about earlier, when possible, you took yourself out of the equation. It's about this patient making changes in their life. You're here to support and coach them, but they're the one in charge of the change. Okay, that sounds good. So Dr. James, I do have one more thing that I want to talk to you about, and it's about my nurses, and I really think that they have it out for me. They hate me, and they want to see me stay here forever, and they're purposely trying to make me look bad. Okay, so you have some concerns about the nurses. Yeah. I mean, you think they're terrible too, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes the nurses can struggle with certain types of people. I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. You think they're awful. I'm going to tell all of the nurses right now. Uh-oh, more conflict. So what's happening here? The patient is doing something. We saw it earlier, too. They're engaging in splitting behavior. Like earlier, that's where people create black and white divisions where they really like certain things or people and dislike others. Why? Here we could hypothesize that the patient feels persecuted or devalued by the staff. This may or may not be the outside reality. In folks with cluster B personalities, it's more based in internal self-distress and self-criticism. Since no one likes feeling bad about themselves, one way that folks with these traits react is by turning these feelings outward. For instance, here the patient is turning around and accusing the staff of hating her. That allows her to avoid her internal uncomfortable feelings. So what do you do about this? Try asking about the feelings behind the split. It doesn't usually help to agree or disagree with the split. You can also set limits about what you will and won't talk about if necessary. You're having concerns about the nurses? Yeah. I mean, you think they're terrible too, right? I want to focus on the thoughts and, and actually what you're feeling about this right now. Well, my nurse looked at me funny this morning. Huh. Okay. And how did that make you feel? I felt judged. I, I cursed him out. I've cursed him out every single time that I've seen him since this whole morning. He can't treat me like that. I mean, I deserve better than that. You need to change who I'm working with. Okay. So it sounds like you're really worried that your nurse doesn't understand you. And I want you to know that the nurses and, and me, we're all on the same team with you. We're here to keep you safe and help keep you better. We're not going to be able to change your nurse. And I know that might be really hard, but I do want to help you think of a way that you can effectively work with them, especially if you don't really like him. And I actually think that's a really important skill that might actually help you outside the hospital too. So you explored the feelings behind the split, but didn't collude with them. You set clear limits about changing the nurses, and you encouraged development of adaptive interpersonal skills. Look, Dr. James, I want the best care. That's what my mom wants for me too. And I know that I deserve the best, and I know that that nurse is not the best. My mom says that she'll file a formal complaint with the hospital if the nurse isn't changed. She's a big deal, my mom. She knows the department chair of psychiatry. It's not like you would know what the best is anyway. You're just a resident, and I bet you, like, barely got into medical school. Well, I definitely did get into medical school, and you know what? I'm the doctor here, and you can complain if you want. We have been treating you with the utmost respect, and you have been hostile and mean towards a lot of the staff people here and me. The patient's sense of entitlement has rubbed you the wrong way, and it can be easy to get into arguments. When people attack you, it's really natural to get defensive. Resist that urge as much as you can. It's usually not helpful. In fact, if you get caught up in it, you can get into a competition where you try to counterattack and deflate the patient's ego, especially when the patient is berating you. Again, try to stay calm, take some deep breaths. Remember that you're there trying to help the patient. 
Reflect their words and emotions. You're looking for the underlying feeling, not the angry attacks. So that's level one, and sometimes that's enough. Level two is actually using their feelings and channeling them in a more positive direction. Sometimes you can even channel that sense of entitlement into a positive direction. For instance, you can compliment them on wanting to get the best realistic medical care. You can also step back and you may be able to point out how the patient's behavior is getting in the way of their goal of getting the best medical care. This is pretty tricky, but let's rewind the tape and see if Dr. James can do it. It sounds like you're upset with me and the other staff too. And you know what? You have every reason to be upset. You're in a tough situation. You're on this inpatient psychiatry unit and you didn't even want to come here in the first place. You're dealing with stress at home and that would make so many people upset. What I hear is that you want the best care and I totally agree with you. Everyone deserves good care. I want you to know that we are here and we are working to do that together with you. In order to make that happen, we're going to need to work together. When you get upset and yell at your nurse, it makes him kind of pull away and it's actually harder for him to work together. We're on the same team here and you deserve all the team support you can get. This is so hard and let's use that energy that you have and focus it on getting you better. Fine, whatever. I mean, if it's important to you for that same nurse to work with me, then so be it. Right, so that went a little better. The patient's not thrilled about this outcome, which is okay. It's fine. You aren't necessarily focused on her being happy with the decision, but you're bolstering her self-efficacy. You validated the patient's anger while encouraging the patient to channel it into dealing with the illness instead of directing it towards staff. You also did a good job of setting clear, firm boundaries. Whew, that was exhausting to listen to. That was a lot of tape. Let's do some quick takeaways before we wrap it up here. Some of the key things. One, reflect and validate the emotions even more than you think you need to. I could have done three times as much in that tape and it still would have been acceptable and probably even more helpful. I think that is such an important thing to keep in mind with these patients. If they feel like you understand them, you know, where they're coming from, even if it's like a negative emotion, like anger, whatever, like, oh, you get that I'm really angry right now. That actually helps them to calm down. Definitely. Reflect, validate. I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And it's important that you're feeling that way. What else? Setting boundaries. So being really clear what you can and can't do and holding up to what you've said. Mm -hmm. Maintaining consistency is going to be really important, even if it's hard and especially when it's hard. Yeah. I think another takeaway that I have is how important it is to tolerate the patient's distress towards you. It can be really hard to set those boundaries because patients don't always like that. They can be upset with you, but in in the long run, it can be really helpful. And just having their anger, upset, distress contained by you and tolerated, I mean, you're modeling for them how, how, to, toler- how to deal with those emotions in the future. So it's a really positive thing, even though it feels kind of icky in, in the short term. Totally agree. We also talked a little bit about splitting and we talked about sort of instead of agreeing or disagreeing, thinking about like what's going on behind this. Yeah. One other thing that comes to mind with this example above is is kind of like we said with our other cluster A personality disorder episode, you know, 
this example wasn't an example of how to do it perfectly. It wasn't perfect. It's just one of many ways that you can approach scenarios like this. But it does follow some good general guidelines about how to work with patients who have personality disorders. For some good advice on how to work with patients with cluster B personality traits or disorders, I recommend that you talk to people at your institution who you admire and who do this well. It's not an accident, and they they actually weren't born knowing how to do this. It's it's a skill that they've practiced time and time and time again. I mean, that's one thing to keep in mind for yourself. It takes practice and time and, and watching other people do this well, and all of those things can be really valuable in your own training with this skill set. I totally echo that. Even the most experienced, skilled, practice doctors still struggle with these patients, and it's okay to make mistakes. I, th- I think acknowledging it and continuing to work towards understanding the patient, working through the mistake, can actually be pretty useful for them. Yeah, absolutely. And in general, if you feel this way, you are probably not alone. Maybe you feel slightly more strongly towards this person or towards that person, but in general, this is a component of countertransference. And I encourage you to speak to a supervisor or someone that you're working with about this. Learning not to avoid transference, but manage it, manage countertransference is a really useful skill mm-hmm. that I think goes a long way towards improving your own sense of wellness and well being. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're helping not just yourself, you're helping the patient out too. Absolutely. Well, that concludes. Cluster B. Thanks for listening and thanks to our guest. We'll be back next time for Cluster C. In the meanwhile, you can check out our website and let us know what you'd like to hear more about in the future. Our website is www.psychessentials.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Psych Essentials. Check us out on iTunes where you can rate, comment, and share Psych Essentials. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album, Tumbling Dishes. There's always a link on our website. People, places, details in this episode were totally fictional to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye.